I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. So I'm bringing you two podcasts in two days in honor of the city newspaper's best of poll. So if you're enjoying listening to these episodes, please take a minute to go to the city newspaper's website and vote for Food About Town for best podcast. Get us on the final ballot again this year, and maybe we'll get a chance to win the, win the award again. So really appreciate it, and I hope you enjoy this episode. In episode 83 of the Food About Town podcast, Tracy Schumacher from the Democrat and Chronicle came over, and we talked all about her time working at the DNC as the food and drink editor, uh, her time working doing reviews, the changing Rochester food and drink scene, and about Finger Lakes Wines. We talked about a bunch of stuff in between as well, of course. So if you're interested in a little bit more about what Tracy does and some of the things she's seen in her two years doing that job, take a listen. I think it was really entertaining and get a few different perspectives out of Tracy. So thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, uh, please share it out. I'm Food About Town on Facebook, at Stromy on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find Tracy, I'd say mainly on Twitter, at uh, RaChaChow. And or you can just search for Tracy Schumacher. Thanks so much for listening. I think we're in the last guest of summer here. It was a hot day today in Rochester, at least hot enough for me. And I actually turned the air conditioning back on in the house. But we're not here to talk about the weather, even though I always start these things with a weather update. I'm here with one of my, I don't know what to call you. What, what would we call each other at this point? Uh, not, we're, we're, not, we're not colleagues because <laughs> we don't work at the same place, right? No, right. We're, we're not rivals. Well, I, I hope not. No, I don't think so. Contemporaries, I think okay. contemporaries yeah, is pretty good. I mean, you're yeah, you're okay. you're the professional journalist, not me. Well, uh, you know, it takes me a while to come up with words at times, so you know, <laughs> I'll have to ponder this one. Okay, so I, I would just have said friends, but oh, I, think I, that's I, a good I guess word. maybe that's overstating it. No, I think I think friends is a good word. Friends is a great word. I tend Food to be friends. I think I'm flowery. I, I want to come up with that bigger oh. word for that whole thing. But see, but journalism is not about flowery words. That, so that's that's uh, maybe that's the difference in our approach. Uh-huh. Well, why don't you introduce yourself, guest? Well, hello. I'm Tracy Schumacher. I'm the food and drink reporter for the Democrat and Chronicle. Wow. Isn't that a thing? I have... How long have you been doing that job now? Okay. So I joined June 1st of 2015. So... Uh, just over two years. Wow, I can't. It's it's almost surprising that it's been that short of a time. You know, it's funny. I just i i went on Polly Googly Elmo's show um, yeah. last week, and he said the exact same thing. So uh, yeah, 
I don't know. I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but yeah, it's only been a couple of years really. Yeah. It's, I don't know why it seems like, you know, I, I guess it's because I didn't really have a relationship with Karen, uh, Karen Milner, who was your predecessor at mm-hmm. that job. I didn't really have an active relationship with her at the time. We had communicated here and there, but we never really corresponded on a regular basis or we never really ran into each other at stuff. Well, Karen approached the food beat in a, in a totally different way than I did. Mm. Um, and uh, so, you know, that might have something to do with it. Kind of in a purposeful way, though, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, we both had our own points of view, but, um, you know, when I came in to, um, you know, I, I have a degree in journalism, but I came in with also a background in marketing. And one of the first things I asked for was um, a sense of the numbers that, that you know, um, articles got. So I could get a sense for what people were interested in reading. Well, and that's kind of, that's kind of where all of journalism and publishing is going right now is really concentrating on the clicks, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, um, I will tell you that Karen had a a discomfort with that. Um, I knew Karen going way back. I, um, you know, I, I did cooking contests and she covered me in the cooking contest. So that's kind of how I got to know Karen. Well, what was your speciality in the cooking contest? Okay, so I am all about the quick and easy. So I went to Pillsbury Bake Off and won my category, which was fast. I think it was fast snacks and appetizers, which is a mouthful. Okay. Um, and it was seven ingredients in le- or less, and I think it was 30 minutes or less. That was the kind of thing I liked to do. I liked, I liked really strange constraints, like almost, you know, solving a puzzle. And so, um, you know, I did, I did well with those kind of things. So I went to the Pillsbury Bake Off and I won $10,000. Um, the grand prize was a million. So it was 10,000. St- if you don't say that the grand prize was a million, it sounds significantly more badass. Yeah, it does. Except <laughs> I was right next to the woman. It was, there were, it was down to four. We were all on stage with Dick Clark. You know, he was announcing the winner. They roll out this cloche, you know, and so there's the four of us thinking, oh, a million bucks, a million bucks, a million bucks. And the girl next to me, you know, and so they, they lift it up and it was the woman right next to me. So, yeah, uh, you know, 10 grand is awesome. But when the woman next to you wins a million, you know, that changes your life. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it seems like you're losing at that point and yeah. not like at the top of this awesome competition. Yeah. So anyway, so that was that was my first contest. Okay. And then um, I started doing others. Um, and I was a stay at home mom. I was working part time. It was just kind of a thing I did. Uh, we, we took nice trips. We, uh, you know, I, I won stuff. It was just super fun. And that's kind of how I got to know Karen. So um, started a food blog when not everyone did food blogs. And um, I remember that time. Yeah, I was doing it like back <laughs> in the days that Julie and Julia was, you know, going oh, and that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. It that was, was right at the right at the beginning. Yeah, it was early. Um, and and never never with a, a sense to make money. It was really I wasn't writing professionally and I felt that I needed to keep up with what was going on in the world of communications. So a blog seemed to be a good way of doing that. So um, anyway, this is a, a real long digression about this, but I think that that's what that's what we do best here. Oh, really? Digression? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's really no point if you're not going to pivot and you're not going to okay. do side stories. That's okay. that's why we have we have the time to as do. As long this. as it's interesting. Like if it's if, if I'm going on on just just give me a sign. Oh, g- g- give you the give you the throat cut. <laughs> like yeah, like give me Tracy, a, move okay, on. Enough. <laughs> you gotta stop with the cooking competitions. Okay. <laughs> So anyway, so anyway, so um, getting back to my job, um, so so 
I knew Karen Miltner, and when she left the Democrat and Chronicle, um, before I took the job, I actually had breakfast with her and chatted with her and heard all about the job and all that other kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that was a real transitional time, this idea of, you know, metrics and, and looking at who's, who's reading your stuff online. For me, it never was foreign because that's how you do marketing. You, you um, do things and you let that inform what you're doing next. And um, it never felt... Um, uh, you know, dirty or bad to me. It's simply finding out what people are interested in and responding to that. And I still do stories that I think are important, even though I don't think they're going to get enough eyeballs. Um, you know, you balance that out. But um, yeah, I find the balance kind of interesting. There's been a number of articles just around in the popular, you know, popular writing areas recently about companies that got taken over by people that focused on the metrics and it changed completely what was going on before. Um, you know, companies that were doing, you know, long form subscription based journalism. And then it changed significantly what happened because of that. And I find that interesting that it was like in your head right away when you went in. Yeah. Except for the fact that I don't think that it was, um, the publishers changing. Um, you know, I, I don't think it exactly was that it was more that, the food beat back then was very focused on cooking yeah. um, and recipes. And um, it was pretty clear from the beginning that uh, stories about restaurants and cool things going on in food were getting a lot more, was getting a lot more interest than recipes. And I don't, I don't, I just don't think that that is the way the people online use their daily newspaper. Um, you know, may, uh, you know, we probably still have legacy subscribers that look at the paper and get recipes and we have wonderful, um, you know, journalists from AP that are much better cooks than I am, you know, it, it, Melissa D. Arabian and, um, and, and some of the others have really wonderful recipes, but for me, it made more sense to really have a local focus and focus on what was going on in the food scene. And as it turned out, there was so much cool stuff going on that, that it made perfect sense. Yeah. Especially right. I mean, right at that time, there was just this constant influx of new places, uh, whether, you know, big and expensive or small and intimate they were they're all over the place and it was they new are. stuff all the time yeah absolutely so um i always felt like there was something interesting going on um we made a transition where i did some recipes and things like that even now and then i'll i'll throw in a recipe you know for kicks or because it interested me um but i just don't think that that's what at least our on online readers are interested in and so like i said i don't think it's chasing clicks i don't think it's um, you know, any, any weakness or, 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 or going in any negative direction. It just is, um, you know, doing what people are looking to read. And that is about, you know, really local stuff. What's really going on here in Rochester in the food scene, whether it's, you know, restaurants or cool people or cool places or, you know, the wineries and things like that. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's a good time to, Let's throw in our first plug for the event oh, that we're here. Sure. Well, we're, thank you. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> you know, the the fun thing about doing these is we can we can throw in the plugs anytime we want. Sure. And make sure everybody knows about this cool event that you guys are doing. This is in conjunction with the overarching. Is this this is a traveling tour, right? Well, so um, yeah, there are um nationally a series of events called the Food and Wine Experience. I think it's happening in ten different cities where Gannett has newspapers. Yep. 
Um, and we're fortunate enough to get one. It's at par- Parcel 5 in a tent outside, which would be super cool. And it's on the 20th, the 14th. <laughs> oh, no, today 20, is the 14th. 23rd. It's the 23rd. I'm like, it was highlighted on my little sheet. And I was like, wait, this is wrong. <laughs> Highlight today's date so yeah. I can remember it. Yeah, that was that was great. Um, so <laughs> so it was on the, it's on the 23rd. It's on a Saturday from 1 to 4, which is, you know, different, an afternoon event. Yep. Um, there'll be Rochester restaurants. There'll be sampling. And then there'll be Martha Stewart's culinary director, Thomas Joseph, will be there. Um, I have not had a chance to interview him yet, but... Cool. Duff Goldman, the Ace of Cakes, will also be there. Right, and you know that's that's a really interesting. I find these these events to be very interesting when it comes to demonstrations mm-hmm. and the celebrity factor, because as an individual showing up, you don't get a lot of you don't get any time with these people. You can see them bake a thing; they go up on the screen, and it's kind of nice. I mean, it's interesting that they're there, and I thought there was an interesting selection on their part mm-hmm. because he's been in the public eye for so long now. Well, way back when, um, when we uh, there was a list of possible people to get for this event, and um, early on, I was a part of that discussion. I don't know how much you know they used my input, but I thought Duff Goldman was perfect for Rochester. I feel mm. like um, you know he's he's very family focused, and uh, I, I just think he's very well known and very well liked, and I, I think he'll be perfect for Rochester. Yeah, I find it kind of interesting because I mean that that show, um, that show popped. Geez, I, I'm going to get my time frames wrong, but I think it's been on for like eight to ten years, hasn't it? It's well, been on a actually, long time. I, I, it might if it's on, it's on in reruns. Okay, it's um, not maybe not on anymore. No, and I think I actually put it in my story, so I have to look. It was it was on from 2006 to 2011. Okay, and, and I I don't know if it's still running. I I probably could have looked. You know, it's, it seems like you can get anything at least on Netflix. But yeah, um, you know he now he's you know, the judge extraordinary for all these baking championships. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and and he has another dessert show on, which I have not caught yet. So, um, yeah, he's he's kind of all over the place. Yeah, and um, I kind of find these... I, I also appreciate what uh, Gannett is doing with these sort of traveling tours and trying to establish a local presence for these things. Uh, I participated in a storytelling event for the DNC when they are starting that up here. And they were trying to get a real local feel for these national scale events, which I thought was kind of a cool development for a for a big corporation trying to make everything a little bit more approachable. Yeah, um, yeah, that storyteller series is still ongoing. Yeah, um, there's one that'll be done. Oh, I think tonight. Tonight, oh, that's so we awesome. Can't plug that, but I think there's one next month, and I think the next one, next month one, um, is at the public market, if memory serves me right. Oh wow. But, like I said, I didn't bring I didn't bring a cheat sheet for that one. So uh well, that's you know, kinda, read the DNC. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's still going on. Because yeah, it it's is. um you know, doing more of these storytelling things. Uh this is uh coming on Friday. I actually put out one yesterday uh talking about the spirit room, which is gonna be a lot of poetry and spoken word on uh, State Street, a new mm-hmm. bar that's opening on the first of October. So they're doing a lot of that kind of, you know, storytelling, spoken word performances there. And it seemed like something we were kind of lacking in a lot of ways. There was a couple open mics here and there, but this kind of concentrated, you know, experiential thing, it's kind of it's kind of fun to do that. Yeah. At least I cool. thought so. Um, so you mentioned the public market. I've had this thing sticking in my head oh recently. Boy. And you've got a glint in your eye. Yeah. And um, 
and you're you're welcome to comment or not. Okay. Um, because I know you've been doing some interesting stuff in the new building at the public market. I saw you were doing a cooking demonstration last week. Well, yeah, that's actually residual from even Karen Miltner's reign. Um, right, because you've been doing them for doing a while. These demos, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you used to do them outside. Now they're, they've moved it into a space inside. No, they were still outside. Oh, it's still outside. I thought that was inside. At well, the... uh, yeah, that's a long story. No, they were. They, okay. So the renovation of the public market was to have included a demo kitchen. Mm. Um, and uh, when we scheduled the demo for this year, um, I mistakenly thought it would be in that demo kitchen. Okay. It, it, it seems that that um, was cut from the the overall gotcha. So um, I think maybe they're looking for funds for that, or I don't know, maybe it's been scrapped. Now, Foodlink does a weekly demo there, and they've carved out a little bit of a, um, you know, a little, little alcove in there, for, yeah, for them to do theirs. Um, but the one that I was at was outside the public market office. Oh, okay, where, where <laughs> you've done it, where you've done it for the last X amount of time. Where we've been every year. Uh huh. It's kind of perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna talk about that new the new shed, which I think the design's really nice. Mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful. I think they did a really nice job on the design. Um, I think the interior is built very well, and I think it offers the vendors that want to do things the right way the opportunity to have better health and safety. To expand, uh, I saw you know Philomena has a stand in there. Yeah, she used to be in the uh, old Boulder Coffee area. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair Game Foods expanded a little bit, and I think that you know the places that are doing things well have an opportunity. What kind of disappointed me about the whole thing? Um, and I've been meaning to write about it, but it's it's hard for me to actually go write anymore. I got too much going on. I got it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, what's been bothering me is that. They didn't take that opportunity to change what that shed was all about. They just took the vendors that were always there. They moved them to the winter shed, then they moved them back. I thought it was a golden opportunity to turn this into more of a, I don't want to say high-end, but a selective, some sort of curated decision on who lives in that shed. It should be a premium experience, not necessarily price-wise, but places that are doing special things. It should be a destination, that new shed, not just, I don't want to you know harp on any specific vendors, but it shouldn't just be resold produce that is you know coming from anywhere in the country. It shouldn't be Nicky Knacks, and it should, it, it should be places doing interesting things that are trying to either develop a reputation or, you know, sell local goods. And it, it kind of bothers me that it's, it's just what it used to be in a nicer veneer. I don't know if that rings true to you or if you. Well, I walked through there when you know after my demo. Um, I, I honestly hadn't given it a lot of thought, so I I, I really don't want to. Uh, no, that's <laughs> fair. Too much of an no, that's fair. I, I mean, the, absolutely. I'm, I just kind of it's you brought up the public market, and it's just something that's been sticking in my head, and it's bothered me because I think it's this golden opportunity. You you see all the development going on in the right on the other side of the market where, um, you know Fiorella and Cure and the Cheese Shop and all these great things that are over there, and all that development. And then you look at the other side and they make this beautiful building, mm-hmm. and it just seemed like a lost opportunity to really calcify and turn into a destination. I mean, mm-hmm. Bitter Honey's open. I don't know if you had a chance to go and talk to them yet. Yeah, I did a story. Yeah, it was. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm sure you the big did. One that was on the front page. <laughs> I, I told Tracy before that I read everything, and I'm pretty sure I, I read most yeah, of it. I I went before they opened, and their kitchen wasn't quite ready. Okay. So I don't know that I have the full bitter honey experience. I wish I had gone before we talked, but gotcha. Um, yeah, I I think what's going on in Railroad Street is cool, and you're right. Uh, that whole row of shops along Flower City and all that is amazing. I, I kind of felt like maybe the, to me, and, and I haven't asked anyone at the public market, the, the, the big shed, I, I thought was a vast improvement in terms of there's a little bit more room to move. Um, this, the ventilation and aroma is definitely better. Absolutely. Um, it felt like a work in progress to me in that it, the signage wasn't very good. So I was having a hard time to discern Okay, who's who and what's the menu and what's going on here? And I think probably that's up to the individual vendors. Um, but I I felt like I was still trying to figure the whole thing out. I went up and down about three times. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I guess I don't really have enough of an opinion because I don't feel like I have enough of a mental inventory about exactly what's there. Yeah. I did know two of the people that I was I talked to, a big... Um, sweets vendor, like a big baked good vendor and a big um, a sausage vendor were from Chictawaga, which, yeah. which I had no idea. Yeah, um, tangentially, uh, one of my distant relatives, the uh, the Hanslians on my dad's side, I'm tangentially related to them. Oh, really? Yeah. As of the sausage people? Uh-huh. Yeah, I talked to them at length. So, well, you know, my husband's from Chictawaga. So, oh, really? Um, yeah. So, oh, <laughs> uh, so. see, mean streets of Boston, New York right here. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's an interesting area of uh, Buffalo. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, more development going in there now too. Of course. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that was interesting. But I, I, uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like I still need to experience that a little bit more. And definitely that old coffee, the Boulder Coffee Building is definitely in transition as well. Yeah. Um, like it looked like people had moved out there, but then I saw I think Rob's Kebabs is going in there. Yeah, I saw so, that. I saw Rob post about that the other day. Yeah, and, and I texted him, and he hasn't gotten back to me. But so yeah. that was kind of interesting. And I'm not sure my the chocolate woman that I wrote about last year is yeah. still there. That looked a little barren. So I think that's going through some transitions too. Yeah, I mean it's been transitioning almost every year yeah. since I've been doing any of this food stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I find that space very intriguing. I think there's so much opportunity there. And yet, um, it's just a little bit out of the way somehow. Yeah. I, I find that about a lot of weird locations in Rochester that seem like they should be great locations. Yeah. But they don't turn out to be great in, in reality. Although, I, I still believe with food, if you, if, you, if you build the right thing, they will come. I mean, Flower City is kind of in a weird... That bakery... It is. You know, you're kind of going past these um, warehouses to get to it, and mm-hmm. there's lines of people out the door for that wonderful bread. So uh, It's hard to I, beat. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think if you have the right product, people will find you out. But Yeah. Well, I think, well, I think that's a good opportunity to... Babe, I mean, you've been doing this for about two years now, and you've seen some, I'd say, notable changes in the Rochester food scene. If we're talking generally, what what is what have you seen in the last two years that has stood out to you in Rochester? You know, I guess the the only the one thing that I was reflecting on um this summer is it seemed that I was going to further and further away from the city for cool stories. Um, whether it's Farmers Creekside in Leroy or I went to a cute empanada place out in um, lions, I believe, cool. um, you know, uh, some neat places in, in 
the Finger Lakes. It seems that the kind of um, cool food stuff is is sort of maybe there's a, a migration, not a migration, because I don't think the stuff in the city is moving, mm-hmm. but but it but it does seem to be spreading this availability of really good food in in small towns and. Um, uh, you know, hole in the wall in Perry and, um, you know, some cool stuff going on in Perry and, you know, which makes perfect sense because that's where the farms are. That's yeah. where, you know, that's where the stuff is grown. It only makes sense that you're going to make really good stuff there. But I, I think it's kind of interesting and heartening to see, you know, really uh, cool entrepreneurs doing cool stuff in small towns. Yeah, I mean, the Owl House and uh, Swilly's and yeah, Pulteneyville. and Pulteneyville. I mean, that popped really hard when it opened. <laughs> Which was great. I mean, I was so. I was super happy for them, yeah. Um, but yeah, I find it's kind of interesting corollary um, to your to your colleague Will Cleveland, uh-huh. uh, where so many breweries are opening in every small town in and around yeah. the Rochester area. You go to Ontario County and everywhere, and there's lots in. There's one in almost every small town now. Which you think. Two years ago when you started, we were only talking about stuff in the city opening. Yeah, really. Um, it was the cool stuff was in the city. And now it's like the cool stuff is in the city and then in the, in the small towns. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's almost like these concentric rings. Um, and yet there's so much, you know, chain stuff and all that in the suburb, suburbia. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, there's good food to be found in the suburbs too. But there is. Like, I found Henry. I find Henrietta to be such a fascinating place. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it's yeah. At, at one time it's the worst and best place to go eat in Rochester. Well, yeah. I mean, if you want ethnic food, there's wonderful, you know, Chinese and Korean and um, you know all kinds of other stuff. Um, but you have to know where to find them, you know, because because it is chain city Absolutely. along Jefferson Road, you know. So. Yeah. And I do want to, speaking of Korean, just because I had it last night, and um, there's a, I, again, I forget the name. I think it's like a K-Town Mini Mart. It's on North Street. I think it's 658 North Street. It's the same location as one of the seafood vendors from the public market. Hmm. Um, it's a little Korean grocery store. They do three kinds of kimchi in-house. They make four or five different kinds of banchan, and then they do cornmeal fried fish. I think sourced from the market next door. Cool. Um, and when you're talking about fresh fish and other things, there's not a lot of great fish counters here in Rochester. <laughs> I think the like Asia food market's a good example. I think they do a decent job. Uh, this uh, uh, the Korean owned fish store that's at the public market in the shed. Mm-hmm. I think they do a good job. And of course, Wegmans has a lot of stuff as well, but price points are difficult for many people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it just popped in my head because we were, I went there last night. It's just another one of those places that I don't think people know about because it's in a uh, different area of the city than people typically go to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you, do you get to explore any of those kind of areas in, in and around uh, the city that you might not have before? Oh, I try to. I, I try to, to um, you know, to drive around and seek out other places. A lot of a lot of the the real entrepreneurial places in that kind of town kind of fall within cheap eats, yeah. which Adam Wilcox does. So a lot of times when something, you know, and he's always looking for something interesting and ethnic to do. So a lot yeah. of times if I hear of things like that, um, I'll pass them on to, you know, um, 
you know, to, to Adam for those kind of stories. I, I got another so. new one for him then. Okay. So I got, I got that market and there is now a, there's a uh, Cuban restaurant on Lyle Ave that I cool. need to point him to. So yeah, it's uh, I, I, I like, I, I'm good with going to places. Believe me. I, yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to get out and go. It's, um, you know, it's just like any any job. I, I spend a lot of time sitting at my desk and writing and, you know, yeah. having my nose in the computer. And anytime I can get out and explore and, and go somewhere new, um, you know, it's it's energizing and, and all that. Yeah. So before we take a break, I want to ask about writing. So you you started you know, doing this full time like two years ago, like we were talking about. Before that, obviously, you did writing. Uh, you mm-hmm. did some freelance work. Um how has doing it full time changed how you write? Like, do you have you noticed a difference? The consistency, the style of what you do. Um, I, I don't know that. Well, I mean, you know, when you're doing it under deadline, you just do it. You don't. There is no writer's block. You got a deadline, and you just do it. I would say that my writing has changed at the DNC just because I've had editors give me suggestions. Mm. And when you're freelancing, you don't have that. You're kind of, you know, in a you're writing and you're kind of throwing it in the big black hole and then it comes out the other end and you try to discern, you know, what any of it meant. Whereas <laughs> I feel like um, in that couple of years, I, it's funny, I looked at my very first story that I wrote for the DNC, like my news story. I wrote the, yeah. for the opening of Hattie's on, okay. in the Strathallen. It was my first day. They sent me there. Um, and when, when I was doing a food blog, I was food writing, but in terms of doing news writing, that skill was pretty rusty. I mean, it had been really since like covering a story and writing a news story. It had been since college, since I did that work. So, um, so I, I definitely can see the rust in my writing at that time. And I've sort of, um, reacquainted with myself with that style of writing. But the, the thing that I've, um, so Steve Bradley is, is the editor I work with now. Okay. Um, and one of the things he's always telling me is that you need to tell the story in your voice um, and, and sort of less, less quotes from people and more telling it in your own voice. Um, whereas it's, it can be really easy to sort of take, you know, especially if you've got somebody that's colorful that you've talked to, to have a whole bunch of, of, of quotes and kind of string them along. Um, but that, that really doesn't make for good writing. So, um, so writing in my own voice, trying to tell the story my own way, um, has been something I've worked on and continue to do so. Yeah. I kind of found that difficult. Um, you know, cause I always came from writing, um, from a engineer's perspective. So I tend to be very factual. I tend to cover a lot of specifics. And when I tried to add more personality to it, Sometimes it's hard to find that balance. At least it was for me sometimes between, you know, sometimes what I thought was good and conversational and balancing that with what, you know, my editors thought at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I always found that kind of challenging. It's, it's very challenging. I think it's, it's, I think writing is always challenging. You can always get better. There's something you can always improve on. I, I know when I first started at the DNC, I looked at a lot of the writing that was online feeling like I sort of had to, um, maybe look at that to, to see how that might guide what I did. And a lot of it was real smart alecky and, um, you know, that kind of tone. And, um, I sort of, you know, 
like that is not me. That is not my tone. That is not what I do. Yeah. And so I sort of needed to take a deep breath and said, that's fine. That's what a lot of these people online do. Uh, It's not what I do. Yeah, I find that kind of interesting because I appreciate some of those writers. I think they're great. I mean, super talents. Um, You know, Pete Wells of the New York Times, he's an amazing writer. Oh, he is. Um, But, you know, that... I think when you're in a city like New York, you can afford to be more brutal than I oh, think yeah. we can here. Well, plus the fact that I, you know, Pete Wells, when he re- reviews a restaurant, he goes, I think at least three times. Threes, I believe they're minimum, yes. And, um, you know, at different times of day with different companions, um, you know, restaurant reviews are a very small, small, small part of what I do and yeah. what our food writing is. But, um, you know, we go once it's, that is what time and what budget, um, we can allocate to that. Yeah. And so to, to really rake somebody over the coals over that, um, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of challenging. And I speak from my experience, um, when I was writing for the city newspaper, doing reviews, we had a two, two visit minimum and, I, I think it did allow me to get to a different swath of the menu. But I think, to be fair, I think the people that you have writing reviews, whether it's yourself, uh, Amanda Antonor, or when Vince Press jumps in and does some, or even what Adam does um, over on the Cheap Eats side, I think they purposefully cover a pretty fair amount of the menu in one visit. Well, yeah, and I, I try to do that. And, and there have been times that I have left feeling like, Maybe I didn't order exactly the right thing. Maybe this really wasn't representative of what they have to offer. And I've gone back on my own, even though that's kind of not part of our, um, you know, our stated, you know, process. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we really do try to get a representative sample of, of, of you know, what, what they have to offer. And, and think about, you know, what is unique about this and, and you know, what, what do we order accordingly? So. Yeah, and I've... And, you know, it's weird over time, You, when you're actively writing, you're always comparing what you do to everybody else. Yeah. And I, I find it kind of interesting when somebody writes about the same place I did, and I hear somebody's different perspective, um, because people focus on different things. And I always found it kind of interesting to see, like, when you and I went to the same place within yeah. a week of each other, two weeks of each other, and I'd get your opinion, then you'd see mine. I was, I always wondered what that was, how that came across to you. I know for me, I never would, um, I, this sounds, this sounds really terrible. Yeah. Um, but I try not to read too much of the other f- food media in town. I read the city newspaper. I do. Sure. Um, but like if I saw that you had written about something, um, that I had been to, I wouldn't let myself read that story until I had filed my review because <laughs> I didn't want to be influenced. Um, but, and I, and I try, and I don't look at like the magazines and stuff like that. Cause, cause, um, every so often you, you know, when I did before I'd run into a, Oh no, somebody wrote about, you know, homemade ice cream places and now I can't do it. Right. Um, and now I'm of a clear conscious. If, if we both happen to be writing about, I don't know, lobster rolls this summer, then it just happens, you know? Anyway, um, 
so what is it like for me? It's, I think it's interesting. The, the one thing I always try to tell people, because people will, you know, there was a review not too long ago that somebody in the newsroom pulled me aside and, and, and uh, Vince Press had written a story and uh, her, her experience at the restaurant had been very different from sure. what he experienced. And I was like, you know, it's possible to have two very different experiences on two very different igni- nights, you know, or, or, you know, however many nights you go. Um, I, I feel like... Um, like when I look at Vince, Amanda and I, we have very different points of view. We have very different styles. Um, I've evolved to want to tell a little bit more of the background behind the place and the story of the place and the ambience of the place than really detail the food. Um, I just don't, for me, I don't find it that interesting to, to read lots and lots and lots of detail about food. Sure. Um, but other people do, and I respect that. It's it's everyone just has their style. You know, Vince Press, he's really excited about glassware <laughs> and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I noticed. Like he has he has opinions about glassware. Yeah, and that's cool. Um, you know, and and if you're a reader and glassware is is not your cup of tea, well, just filter it out. Then you know, he has not a very it's weird. He has a specific format almost, <laughs> and I know. I mean, it's weird the things you notice because you've written you've yeah. written. I notice he has a format. He hit, he hits the decor a lot more than I ever did. Well, and I hit the I hit I like to hit the I don't know about decor, but to me the vibe and the experience and what it's like to be there is just as important as the food that's on the plate. Yeah. Um and and I don't know that you or Amanda would agree with that. No, I don't um, think I would. And so, to be fair. And that's cool. Yeah, I don't think I ever cared as much. Right. Um, because as long as, for me, as long as the food is good, I don't care. And as long as the service is adequate, I don't care. Um, you know, it's it's hard for me to talk about service unless it's exceptional right. or it's awful. That's pretty much what I do. I, I you know, I don't I don't really notice the note the service unless um, the pace of the meal is really off. That does or... bug me. I, there was some. <laughs> oh, there were a couple occasions where. Carrie, uh, my wife and I were sitting in a restaurant for a review, and we were waiting an hour between an appetizer and entree. Oh, I had one that was a three-hour tour. No way. Uh, seriously, I had one that was an hour for appetizer, one for entree, oh. one for dessert, <laughs> and a and a and a waiter that went from uh, friendly to to hostile and back to friendly. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was the craziest night. And that was a day that I wish I could do a Pete Wells because it was, because yeah. I wanted to describe this experience in such vivid detail. Yeah. Um, and we ended up scrapping the review. I just didn't write it. Cause, cause I, I basically was like, you know what? I can't write anything constructive about this place. It's still in business. Um, yeah. and it's a couple years later. So clearly we, I must've caught them on an off night. Yeah. But, um, Hey, I mean, I've I I wrote some you know I wrote some negative stuff. I'm, and I think that was one of the differences that I always noted is there wasn't a lot of people who would go on the negative side. And yeah. I, I always thought for me, if if I was going to do it, I had to be able to do that. I I will I will state um I will state when something isn't to my liking. Absolutely, I just I don't think I that. I hit him real hard with that. I think um, I always pulled that punch too, and I I know yeah. some people wouldn't agree with that that I right. pulled punches. But I always felt that I did to be um, to be balanced. Yeah, I always thought I pulled back truthfully. 
And I think um, the you know I don't know if you ever see the reviews in the Rochester Magazine that he said she said. I get some of them. So um, I feel like they go for it a little bit more. Yeah, I find um, I find the format kind of interesting because <laughs> I I don't know what to think about it. <laughs> um, and I've, it's it's a little hard because I don't know who they are. I don't either. Which, I have no idea. Interesting. No, because I that, I think that's. I'm a trying part, to find out. Like I'm super I'm super nosy. I've I'm thought a about who it could be. Uh-huh. Um, but I. Because I don't know them, it's hard for me. I get the format, but it doesn't resonate to me the same way as hearing somebody's opinion does that I understand who they are. Well, and I fundamentally believe that when you, uh, I, I'm not criticized, you know, I, I think it's it's a fun thing. I, and I, I think that they do it their way. Just as a journalist, I just believe you should stand behind your opinion and, and sign something. I that's think, the way I roll. I, w- but, I thought um, that's, imp- I think it's important, truthfully. So, and I don't, I don't mind the people that are anonymous. Their face isn't out there, mm-hmm. but their name is out there. And if you want to contact them online, you can. Yeah. I always thought it was important if I was going to write something negative to be out there. And if somebody wants to talk to me about it, I will go and talk to you. Yeah. I don't care what you have to say. I will take that time and I will listen to you disagree with me. I always thought that was important. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure you get plenty of I that. I shouldn't have even brought this up. <laughs> I think it's a good topic. I think Oops. it's a good topic. Shoot. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm sure you get some of that. Oh, um, I do. And I'm, you mean people? Oh yeah. People disagreeing with me? Yeah. Or because everything probably comes through you. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and actually, well, um, yeah. It just depends. Um, but I, I hear stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get feedback from businesses. I've gotten it from businesses oh, before yeah. when I was doing it. They'll contact either the editor or somebody and say. Hey, I really disagree with what you said. I mean, much different language, of course. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure you get a fair amount of that. Yeah, and actually, as a reporter who also uh, has done reviews, I have found it um, can make things a little bit weird because um, you know then I'm criticizing a restaurant and then I have to turn around a week later and call them for information for a story. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of one of the reasons I've pulled back a little bit on the reviews. I, I write about one a month. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty careful about what I review. So, um, it, it's hard to balance that. And Karen Miltner had, didn't do any, she had started out as a restaurant critic and she did away with that entirely. And, 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 I didn't want to do that because it, it gets me into the restaurants. It gets me informed about what's going on. I, I don't want to miss that. But, um, you know, I had one guy um, who I've written about several times and I, I um, you know, criticized his restaurant. I think part of it was like flabby bacon and a bloody Mary. Sure. And, um, oh, that sounds awful. Oh, it was like, you know. Flabby anyway. bacon and a bloody Mary. Right. Yeah. And so I called him up about something and, and one of his first questions was, What is your background in food? Oh God. And I was like, Ugh. What? What? My background in food? I've been eating food all my life. What is my background? Oh, oh, I get it. My background in food. You want to know what qualifies me to write this stuff about your restaurant. What it are took your me credentials? A minute, you know, to figure this out. Um, and I had to kind of give him, you know, my background and um and then we were cool because he realized, like, I, you know, I've, um, I helped start up a kitchen. I, I you know, I've, I've uh, cooked in, in various capacities. I'm not a trained chef. I'm not a professional. I never worked online. I yeah. never claimed that I did. But um, uh, I, I think our conversation gave him enough um, 
satisfaction that I, I knew something, but um, flabby bacon is flabby bacon, whether you've gone to the CIA or whether you've, you know, I couldn't, not. I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's not something I ran across too much, but it's one of those things where either it's right or it's not. Yeah. And I, 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 I appreciate all the effort that people put into the kitchens and all the work they put to get the dishes out. And, you know, inconsistency happens. It does. It's part, it's reality. But at the same time, you're serving food to people and they have the right to their experiences in the end, whether or not you worked in a kitchen or not. If the food's bad when it comes out, it's, it's bad when it comes out. Well, and, and for me, when I do the restaurant reviews, I, I try to, um, describe more than judge. Fair. Um, so that people can decide for themselves whether this is the way they would want that dish prepared. Um, because you know, what's, what's, if it's pungently garlicky, uh, and you like pungently garlicky, then, then that's a good dish for you. If, if, if it's a really strong garlic flavor and it's too much for you, then it's not. Um, but either way it's, it's not made properly or not made properly. So as much as I can, I try to describe rather than judge. Interesting. All right. Well, we might continue review talk. We may not, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey everyone, like I mentioned at the top of the show, the City Newspaper's Best Of poll is open now. This is the open portion of the poll, so I'd really appreciate it if you went to the City Newspaper's website and went to the Best Podcast category and voted for Food About Town. I really appreciated everybody's support over the last year, and I'm excited to keep on expanding and making the podcast better over the next year. Thanks. And we're back. So... Um, since we're back from the break, let's talk again about the, uh, rock food wine experience. Okay. You uh, ready? Let, hold, on, hold on. Let me see. Oh. Let me see if I can get it off the top of my head. Okay. So it is on September 23rd on parcel five covered area on parcel five, which is a beautiful area of Rochester, right near the Democrat and Chronicle headquarters, Yeah. right off of main street, um, running from one to four on a Saturday. Saturday? Dude, you're good. Right? Look at you. Yeah. Um, and you can buy your tickets. Where can you buy the tickets? Food and wine. Dot, food and wine, like and, mm-hmm. uh, dot com, And there's a few different <laughs> packages available. Beautiful. And you've got the culinary director of Martha Stewart. You've got Duff Goldman. And it's going to be a whole hullabaloo full of local restaurants and local wineries. Yes. Which is, I want to pivot to local wineries because you just did a... Beautiful cover story. Great photography in there, by the way. Yeah, Max Schulte. He's so talented. <clears throat> yeah, it's this beautiful cover story talking about the um, ever-changing and now nationally recognized Finger Lakes wine scene. So I guess what? let's start with the article, and then we'll bounce around because I think there's a lot to talk about about the Finger Lakes wine scene right now. Oh, yeah. It's really exciting stuff going on. So where were you focusing in the article? I mean, you bounced to a bunch of different places. What were some of the standout things that you covered in there well so last year so one of the challenges about finger lakes winery writing about finger lakes wine is we keep doing these very broad stories about them and i'm hoping to be able to dig a little deeper into more specific topics last year i did a story kind of on how where how things have evolved since the the farm winery act um so it was 40 years and so i picked places that were um kind of original to the wine scene there and then places that were newer. 
So it kind of had an historical approach. This time, I I really kind of focused on, I started with places that I read about in the national press that were getting national play. Interesting. And that's where I started. And then as I talked to those people, I asked them, who else do you think is doing cool stuff in the Finger Lakes? Because um, who who better to tell me? And it's, it's funny because... Um, some of them were a little hesitant to name names, you know, like I had to assure them it was off the record. I wasn't going to quote them on that. Just that I was looking for who else they thought was doing, you know, good, good stuff. I find that interesting because that's exactly how I've been going across it. As I've started to get to know some of the people in and around the area, that's how I've been finding some of the off the beaten path places, the more eccentric places, the more, uh, grower driven wineries. Um, and I think that's how I found some of the things that I've just been thrilled with is by asking the winemakers or asking some of the local restaurateurs. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, I've, you know, there's, uh, depending on who gives you the numbers, there's anywhere between 100 and 130 or so wineries in the Finger Lakes. Wow. Um, and um, so I feel like I've just scratched the surface. There are people that I absolutely have not gotten to. Um, and I feel bad. It just, you know, it's such a wide expanse. I try to go and meet with people and listen to them that it's, it's, it's hard to cover a a huge amount of territory, you know, all at once. So, um, so I, uh, let's see, who did I go to talk to? I went to, um, Boundary Breaks. Uh, oh my God. What what lake are they on? They're in Seneca Lake. They're off the beaten path. Okay. Up high above Seneca Lake. Exquisite tasting room just opened this year. Um, and Bruce Murray is a former businessman who, um, has, has had two careers in his life, one of which was being a journalist. So, uh, that was kind of interesting. And, um, so his, he decided, um, that his third career would be starting a winery. It was kind of this aesthetic appreciation for wine. You know, everyone has that moment where, oh my gosh, this, you know, this glass of wine, um, you know blows me away and i think his was a thai restaurant and a wonderful riesling i think if, it if sounds about right. right yeah and I I'm, think I'm, I'm gonna stop you though yeah do you have one of those moments no i don't <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah I'm not... i just like wine yeah. i just like food <laughs> I, I i don't have that eureka moment i'm sorry i i was worried you were gonna say that yeah well i figured it's it's kind of the prescient question i started early and i started often <laughs> when i came to wine <laughs> That's, you know, it's still, that's still a great way. And it's, I find that kind of analogous to the people that, um, they got to appreciate good beer after drinking bad beer for so long. You know, the people that came to it early and often, <laughs> and then transitioned as they got more to appreciate the nuances. Well, you know, it's funny cause I, I listened to your interview with Evan Dawson and he, he talked yeah. about that wine that had soul and all that. And I thought, mm, yeah, no, can't say I've, I've had that. I really don't. I mean, like, I, I actually, and I think one thing that makes me a good food reporter versus a food writer yeah. is that I there's not a whole lot of snobbery when it comes to me, and and there wasn't with him either. So I'm I'm not trying to say that it, there was. Well, but I mean, to a point. I, I mean, he and I both live in the snobbery world. Okay, I to don't. Be fair. I don't live in the snobbery world. <laughs> yeah. You know, I saw I wrote a cool story about garbage balls last year. It was all of the the makings of a garbage ball, breaded and deep fried. And served on a plate, and it got huge, huge, huge numbers. I remember that article. I don't mind writing about garbage balls. Like I, I, I yeah. can do garbage balls. So, um, and and believe me, I got I got 
feedback about that too, you know, but, um, for a general, um, you know, newspaper, you cover everything. And so, um, you know, I might end up writing about sweet wines now and then, which wine writers don't do. I don't have any problem with that. Like I, I am an, I would like to be the anti-snob. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's a good position to have. I can't bring myself to care. Um, I mean, and I, and I say that from, Hey, this is my personal taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm right, but I understand that people don't agree with me. I will tell you. So th- th- this will this will give you where I'm at with wine. Yeah, and and you will you will die when I say this. I sound I'm excited. Okay, ready? So I last year I did my story and I I went to Domaine Le Sour, which I don't know if you've been there. I haven't. It's on, it's high on my list. Okay, I really just beautiful French couple Celine and Sebastian Le Sour, um, bought a bottle of of um, Riesling that had been light very lightly yoked. Um, and really liked it last year. It had been, I, I just hadn't gotten around to, to, um, uh, drinking it. And I, last week I had had a crappy day. I thought, what am I waiting for? I'm going to open this bottle of Riesling. And I could not find a gosh darn wine opener anywhere <laughs> in my house. Like really. And I was tweeting, you won't like, can you, that I, that I couldn't find one. And everyone said, what are you doing with only one in your house? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Anyway. So what do I do? I go in my fridge to look, and my sister has visited two weeks ago. My sister drinks Moscato. Oh, beautiful. Moscato. Oh, sure. So this is really sweet stuff. The sweetest of sweet, mostly. Yeah, very sweet. And I was like, you know what? And I pulled out that two-week-old bottle of Moscato. Uh, I put ice in a glass, and I drank the Moscato. Nice. I like the ice in a glass You had to have the ice. I, I don't know. Somehow I felt like the ice would make it better yeah well you're classing up the glass put, at that point i wouldn't have <laughs> i put the riesling over ice but i drink the moscato so hey. so that's where and and the uh, yeah so anyway that's where i'm at with wine like i um i i yeah you appreciate what's good but you're not but you're not below you're not I, above I, I, trying I something i would never look down on i would not look down on my sister for drinking moscato it's yeah. cool I, I will say my now my mom came to um the finger lakes we can't tell mom I'm on the show, but my, so my mom <laughs> came to the Finger Lakes and she drove me crazy because mom only drinks Chardonnay, period. Sure. I only drink Chardonnay. And I'm like, mom, you're in the Finger Lakes. You need to try a Riesling. There are dry Rieslings. There are beautiful dry Rieslings. And we went to different wineries and they'd be like, you know, we have dry Rieslings. And so I'm on the phone with my mom. She's, she's long gone. She's stuck to her Chardonnay guns. That's fine. Whatever. It's cool. Um, but so... We're on the phone, and I was telling her about this story and uh, said something about Rieslings. I had a nice glass of Riesling, and she goes, oh, I don't like Rieslings. They're too sweet. I was like, Mom, <laughs> there are dry Rieslings. Yeah. They're known for the dry Rieslings. So anyway. Um, no, it's weird. It's that some of these some of these perceptions are so deeply ingrained in people. They are. Um, that I've had down to zero RS Rieslings in yeah, the Finger Lakes. absolutely. That are almost... I'm going to use a snobbery term. Um, they're almost they're austere, almost they're super crisp, they're light. There's almost there's no fruit almost at all, and they're just it's crisp and mineral and all that stuff, which I mean is almost completely counter to a California Chardonnay. Absolutely, which it's is totally, huge. Yeah, it's um, totally different than that. So. Yeah, so I mean we we go all and, the way and down. She might not have liked it. No, but but what I what what was disappointing to me is not that. 
that she tried it and said, no, that is not the style of wine I like. It was, no, I just won't try it. Yeah. Because I think it's going to be sweet when they're not going to be. Yeah. Well, I think, I think one of the interesting things you mentioned, uh, we were talking about boundary breaks. Um, you covered some of the other, um, yeah, I don't know what we want to call niche places, but they're, they're <laughs> not the big, they're not the big hitters in the Finger Lakes when it comes to quantity. You know what? The other thing, by the way, going back, oh, is please. the other way I picked those wineries is I asked some Psalms what they thought was, okay. was exciting going in. I, I think I asked, the, I, I asked, uh, one of the guys from, um, you know, Creekside that, that I know you had on your, um, I've been talking to them a lot recently. Yeah. I'm actually, so this is coming out on my birthday tomorrow. Oh. Um, Happy birthday. I right? brought something. Nah, that's why I, didn't, I don't tell people. Oh. Um, so that's where I'm going for my birthday. And oh, Creekside. Is one main open? Uh, I don't believe that it is, okay. but I believe that's where we're eating. Oh, okay. Um, I, I don't know exactly, but I, I believe that's where we're eating. Okay. I told them it was my birthday and I wanted a different wine experience, and they found at auction a 1983 Riesling for us to taste. From... From California. Oh, well, that's interesting. Um, I didn't I, think of California as a Riesling region. I didn't either. It's kind of warm climate yeah. for a, a So appara- apparently but, it's a high elevation, uh-huh. um, you know, on the water, so it's a little cooler. And I'm like, okay, sounds great. I don't want to spend $1,000 on an Alsatian bottle of Riesling. So, but it's the kind of place where I think they'll, one, they're wine nerds oh in a gosh, very approachable way. Oh, my ever, yeah. Uh, I think they do a great, I think... They really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also the kind of place that if you have great hopes and desires or you want to try something different, like you can go there and talk to them and they will find you something cool. Absolutely. To yeah. Um, cool. And I'm glad you reached out to them. That's kind of it's Yeah. A, so, so I did ask them too. So I was just trying to get, you know, what was cool in the Finger Lakes right now. Um, you know, you got to, you just got to narrow the field somewhere, you know, and uh, kind of kept talking to people until I felt like I was hearing the same thing you know, a few times. So it wasn't some kind of a, you know, an outlying opinion. And I think one of, I mean, you talked to some of the, some of the names I would have told mm-hmm. you to talk to, like, um, you know, Herman Weimer. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, they have such a long, long relationship with the Finger Lakes. Yeah. And, and yet have a new generation running it. So, yeah, absolutely. so that's pretty cool. And yeah, Oscar, wow. He's a, he's a character. He's, a, <laughs> they're all characters. They're, they're Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think you kind of have to be if you want to make an impact yeah. in an area, and if you want to take over such a place with a high reputation. Yeah, you kind of have to have that. But he was very thing. the thing. The thing that I, for some reason, because Herman Weimer is just this name it is. that is so well named and known and so well respected, and um, there's a, I expected a very serious something there, and Oscar has this lightness of spirit about him. Um, he's just extremely friendly. He, he wears a perpetual smile. Um, just this really fun, great guy. Just not what you'd expect at a winery that's that sort of revered. Yeah. So that was cool. And I think it's also, it's, it's a beautiful place when you go in. I think the tasting room is stunning. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, rustic, but feels super refined. Mm-hmm. And it's, you feel like it's a little more catered to you as a person instead of a, going through and just getting served wine and leaving. Yeah. It feels very, very tight mm-hmm. in a good way. Um, I think one of the other interesting things, I mean, you talked about a couple of these other, I'd call boutique places like mm-hmm. Heart and Hands, which yeah. I haven't been to yet. So I, 
I uh, so Tom Higgins, I spent at least three hours with. Oh, that's awesome. And what an interesting, knowledgeable guy. Um, and, and that's the thing that's really tough is, you know, you write these stories for the newspaper, you know, boy, if I was writing a book, I could use all of it, but I was writing a newspaper story, so I can only use so much, but definitely we'll revisit at him. But, you know, we got into clones of Pinot Noir and what that all means and all this other kind of stuff. And it was just the coolest, coolest. I, I learned so much from him. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, wine is one of these topics that I'm, I've talked, I've mentioned it before, but I'm, I'm right on the edge of diving in deeper than I think I should be diving in mm -hmm. because there's so much to learn. Yeah. And it's I'm in a tall, it's a, it's a steep. Yeah. To, to and I, I've been told I'm an insufferable know-it-all. And it, I think it's because I, when I find something I like, I tend to dive in heavy and mm -hmm. I learn a lot. I, there's so much to learn. I'm scared to dive in too much. Yeah. I, so I'm, um, I uh, am have been learning a lot, reading a lot. I'm taking the W. Okay, so this is interesting. So there's there's different kinds of classes you can take for wine. You can you can learn to be a sommelier, um, and that's through the court of sommeliers or whatever. Court of master sommeliers. Yeah, yep. there you go. And then there's another organization. There's a few different organizations, and one is called the WSET. Um, although some people have told me it's WSET. And then when I've used WSET, I've been corrected to WSET. So whatever it is, I'm taking the first one th next week. And I think that it's they're, they're the what I would consider the second name in the U.S. on wine education. Well, and and what the the reason I went that path is, if you're educated to be a psalm, it's really with the goal of serving wine, which I have no interest in whatsoever. Couldn't agree I'm, more. I'm just um, interested in learning about wine. So um, there is a service component. I do think some of it's geared toward, you know, um, people in the trade, but not so much to be psalms. So, um, you know, so that's the route I took. And I'm only doing level one. Um, you know, people have said, oh, you can pass that thing without even uh, going to the class. You can just pass it. And I'm like, yeah. We'll see. I, I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've gone to little class. I've gone to tastings. I've gone to this and that. I've, I've, I've tried to pick up stuff along the way, but I, I feel like I've got a real Swiss cheese kind of body of knowledge, and I'm trying to fill in some of those holes. I, I think that's where I am, too. You know, I'll, I'll, I know enough to be a pain in the ass when it comes to tasting at this point, but not enough where I really know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I'm talking about a wine I already know about, I can throw off a number of different facts and say about a region or whatever. I've started listening to stupid podcasts. I listen to the Master Somali, the Court of Master Somali podcast. Oh, really? See, I, I listen to like wine for normal people. So oh, that's, okay. That, that kind of shows your difference <laughs> in the approach. <laughs> I, I listen to them, but probably they have a very different point of view. It's it's really it's intense, uh -huh. and maybe I pick up ten percent of what they talk about or twenty percent, but it's so dense in information. It's it continues to intimidate me even after I've listened to, you know, a dozen of their episodes or more. Yeah, that doesn't sound like my cup of tea. I, I just can't Wine for normal people. Start from the beginning. Yeah. Um, go, going back to your article, I think the other interesting thing you mentioned, we kind of talked about the, the sweet dry shift. And I think it, it, it is dominating the national press part of the Finger Lakes conversation right now. Um, you know, the more complex, switching towards natural... 
um, all those kind of things. I, you know what? I didn't get into the natural thing. It's a whole other topic. It, it, to me, I felt like it deserved its own, its own thing. I couldn't agree this more. This whole concept of natural versus, um, you know, just all, all, all you know, all the sustainable, all the different things that get bandied about. I, I think that that needs to be taken apart in a different article. I didn't yeah. even go there. It's. I think it's a really smart move on your part because. I could rattle off five places you should go for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could, and you I could went do to it. Bloomer Creek, for example. And I they do loved, natu- yeah, and they oh do natural God. wines. I just felt like, um, and and I really enjoyed talking to them. Um, and I just felt like their voice was different from what I was doing in this story. Absolutely, and that I needed that it needed to be somewhere else. I think so, it's it's one of those places that winemakers told me to go, and I when I went, I was so thrilled at how grower focused it was mm-hmm. and how fascinating of a of a man he was. I they was both talking are, yeah, yeah they, I was talking to the I guess one of the owners and I was I loved talking to the guy because he just has these odd opinions <laughs> in comparison to the rest of the Finger Wakes winemakers. Well they they both they you know she's so it's husband and wife and she's an artist. Oh I I haven't met her yet. And and they're cool. They're a cool couple and um I went so the day I went to um Forge and Bloomer Creek. So I went, they're right almost across from each other. It was the eclipse. Oh, great. And so I, uh, Forge was having a a party. They were making um, like some kind of box that they were looking through. My husband had made me one of those boxes to take with me to the Finger Lakes and I put a pen through it. So I wasn't able to use that. So I go to (laughs) Bloomer Creek and um, I was like, are you missing the eclipse? Do you want to be outside looking at this eclipse? Like, I'm really sorry I made this appointment then. And, and she was like, no, we're supposed to think good thoughts for the, during this eclipse. So we need to think good thoughts. And I was like, <laughs> okay, let's think good That's thoughts. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, she's very artsy. I looked at, she had, she's an artist. But, but you know, and, and, and they both have kind of an artistic, poetic, uh, you know, vibe about that. I agree. I, I, I enjoyed my conversation with the guy when I was there. Um, I apologize. I forget his name. It's been a little while. And Give me a second. I'll jump it up. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought the place was really well done. I thought the wines were fascinating. Yeah. Um, and they all played on the edge of, hey, this is a little bit more funky than a tradition, what you get in most of the finger Well, yeah. Wines. So especially like they're white. So they don't filter their wines. So they're a little bit cloudier. Yep, um, that's actually... Um, believe it or not, I did very, very little wine tasting while I did this story. Um, it was one of those things I was gathering information. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd make these appointments and I have to go from place to place and I just never got a chance to taste certain wines. I did um, take a few sips at, at Bloomer Creek and yeah, they're, they are different and um, definitely even just in looking at them, they're, you know, they, they're cloudy because they don't filter it and, you know... Um, They've got some character to them, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's cool. Um, so I'm actually I'm excited to hear when you go back and you do some more of that kind of stuff and you talk yeah. to those people. Well, there's a range of opinion. You know, th- that that is um, to unpack that is is a lot. It is because there's a range of opinions about what what is natural wine? What does it mean? Is it good or bad? What is sustainable? Um, what is um, biodynamic is the other you know, words you hear organic, a lot about. Well, even organic, you don't hear about it as much in wine. Um, but 
I, I mean, it, you do, sure. but, but it's, it's not tossed around quite as much as some of the other ones. So, um, you know, I, I need to kind of let, take a, you know, take the big exhale from that story. Cause it was a big one it was. before I ramp up to the next one. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, some, someday I'll get to that. Yeah. And I think the other, one of the other interesting points you brought up was the, um, New York distribution, mm-hmm. uh, the distribution of wines to New York city and to the rest of the country. And world, really. Yeah. I mean, Forge is in uh, 20 some odd countries, you know. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting topic to see that you go, to, you can go to restaurants all around the country and go to New York City and see wines you won't see on a Rochester menu. Yeah. And I think for me, that's one of the more continual disappointment, continuing disappointing things in the Rochester food and drink scene is that how few of these. Um, more spectacular wines that are made in the Finger Lakes you will never see um, on a Rochester menu. That's definitely something I'd like to explore. It's, I mean, I've certainly talked to Mike Lauren Thomas about it. He is the um, evangelist. He is the evangelist. And I'm not, you know, as a journalist, I don't, I, I don't take on the evangelism. You know what I mean? Sure. So um, I'd be interested in, in learning, you know, from various... Um, Points of view as to why is that? You know, I asked. Um, so there's a um, a new wine bar in Victor called Cork Forty Nine. I was down there and I talked to their som. Yep. He he um you know he he has he has a good background. He's at the Wine Culinary Center. I think he was at Nash for a while. Um, we had a really good chat and um you know he has wines from all over and I'd say there was maybe one Finger Lakes wine by the glass, maybe two more by the bottle. I was very intrigued by one of the bottles that he had. Um, and he basically said that for him, he felt that, um, a lot of the finger lakes wines were pricing themselves out of the buy by the glass sales that for him to make the markup he needs, he'd have to charge $19 a glass, which he's not going to get for a finger lakes wine. Um, so I, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. That was kind of, you know, I, I, a lot of times what I'll do is, um, when I'm reporting stories, I'll start to ask questions about other stories just to start forming my thinking as to what might be coming next. Um, so, you know, I, I'm interested in exploring all facets of that. I, I do feel like it. there should be more. Uh, you would think that being so close to a wine region that there would be more of a presence on these wine lists. Yeah. Um, and uh there must be some barriers as to why they're not. And I, that is that is what I've heard as well. I mean, that opinion and that um, that method, I think that is what I've heard as well. I think that probably is the challenge because you can get California wines at prices that are just dirt cheap because right. they're making the volume. Right. Um, well, and that's what I liked about Boundary Breaks. Um, you know, I, I come from a business and marketing background, so I think I related well to Bruce Murray, but he was very much saying... You know, for, for us to get where we need to go, not only do we have to do a great wine, but we've got to get it down to a certain price point. And, and this is how we're going to do that. And, um, you know, I, I kind of respected that point of view. Yeah, and it's, it, it's not only just approachable, it allows it to be in restaurants. Yeah. I think that it's probably the biggest barrier, and I think that's what you'll find when you talk to people. That's what I've heard. Um, because, you know, when, when you're talking about, like, Finger Lakes Reds, there's some really delicious Finger Lakes Red wines the problem is retail. I mean, the cheapest ones you ever get that are 
generally respected are in the 20s. And most of them, when you get to the even better stuff, they're starting at $35 or more per bottle. Mm-hmm. A lot of, um, most people can't afford that. Yeah. And that's, that's what you're going to see. And then mark that up to how much oh, at a yeah. restaurant. So, um, you know, I, 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 I tend not to think maybe that restaurants are just blowing this off. Um, and, and so I feel like as a journalist, whenever you're asking these questions, you go in with some curiosity. So, yeah. um, I think, I think it's an interesting to dive into more because I find it disappointing and I think there's a way to do it still, mm-hmm. um, with some of the places and maybe the prices need to come slightly down, but I think there's still a way to do it and we need more representation here because you look at these major regions and that's what you get in them. Yeah. And here we you can go from the Finger Lakes to here and you'll see 10% at most. Yeah. And it's it, it's still it's just disappointing. Yeah, for whatever I, reason. I'm just curious about that. I I think Rochester is a very price sensitive market. Yeah. Um for anything, for food, for you know, whatever and wine. And so um you know, it might be that in New York City, charging a certain amount for a bottle of wine or a glass of wine might not raise eyebrows the way they would in Rochester. Um, I, I'm not trying to defend it. I have no, no idea. I'm, I'm curious about this situation. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it would be interesting to talk to more people about it and yeah. get that. I think that'll be an interesting one when it when it happens. I, I, it's another one on the list. I have lists on lists on lists. I, I I'm telling you, the I food know. and drink scene is such that. It's hard to keep up. There's just so much I, you know, you you, you want to write about. Yeah. Um, anything else, uh, Finger Oaks Wine, that pops into your head right now that you want to talk about? Um, no, only that. Um, you know, I I I am trying to write more about it, and um, you know, hoping to to drill down to some more specific subjects as well. Um, yeah. You know, and I I don't pretend. You know, when I call these owners, I I don't pretend to be any kind of a uh, wine writer per se, you know, I'm, I'm a food and drink reporter and that's true of, you know, food and wine. And, um, I'm not any more than I am. So, um, uh, hopefully I'm coming at it with the same sort of interest and knowledge base that our readers are so that I can relate to it and not make it, um, you know, on a, on a different level. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good perspective. And, um, if you want to dive into a little bit more, I would check out the article on the Democrat and Chronicle. And I think it's, um, I don't know how you'd find it. You can go to the flavors page and you'll find it on there. Yeah. You know, one of the things that some people just do is they go to Democrat and and type Tracy T R A C Y. There you go. Search button. And then you'll find everything I wrote. Yeah. And that might be just as easy. I think it's definitely an article worth going out and reading. Oh, thank you. I think yeah. you covered a lot of interesting places and a lot of places. I still think a lot of people have no idea exist. Yeah. Well, I, I talked to, I ran into, um, I keep talking about him, but Bruce Murray from Boundary Breaks, and he had said that people were coming in even last weekend, you know, with the article, having never heard of it. He is off the beaten path, so you have to know it's there. But, sure. Oh my gosh, it's just beautiful. It's That's awesome. It. Yeah, Riesling focused and definitely more grower focused, not just production levels. And it's it's supposedly one of the really cool spots. I'm I'm excited to go there. Oh, it's just beautiful, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Um, so I'm going to pivot, and I think one of the last things I wanted to talk about was. Um, I don't know if you're still doing them, but for a while you were doing um, in the Democrat and Chronicle little video studio there, which is near the front of the building. Yep. Um, you were doing one-on-one uh, video interviews with people. Yeah. 
Are you still doing those? I'm, I haven't <laughs> caught them in a plan. while. Okay. You know, it's, it's, I, uh, I go in streaks with that. It's, you know, there's, there's deadlines on deadlines on deadlines. Sure. And, um, just in the past few weeks, um, that's fallen off a little bit. Um, and what, uh, you know, I think we're trying to find a good, um, you know, a good focus on them. I've, I've done a little bit of this and a little bit of that in terms of those interviews. But um, yes, the idea is that I'm still using the studio and I'm still doing interviews there. Yes. Yeah. Cause I, I found it, I found it interesting. And I was wondering from your perspective, you started doing those. Was that the first time you'd done stuff in front of the camera? <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that in a bad way. Yes. I'm saying, um, because it seemed like as you started to go along, I mean, you're learning how to be in front of a camera. Oh yeah. No. So, um, you know, the Democrat and Chronicle realized that, you know, when that, that, that being on the internet meant that, you know, there also has to be video. And so we have this studio that's used for various reasons. Um, our sports guys use it a ton. Um, and definitely food lends itself to that. Absolutely. Um, and so, um, you know, it was up to the journalists to, to basically get out there and do it. Now we do have Virginia Butler, uh, who's our director. She's a, I mean, a, you know, lifelong journalist and, um, helps us through it and gives us all kinds of coaching. And so she is just fabulous to work with. And I've learned a ton from her. Um, but really the only, it's kind of like driving. The only way you learn it is just to jump in and do it. And I think all the journalists have done it. You know, they'll, um, they'll, they'll sit at the desk and explain news events. Like, I don't know if you, when Bill Nojay died, there was a group of them that talked all about that, that situation. I think there. you watched that one. I mean, a fascinating um, story. Obviously. I think it was probably Steve Orr and, and Gary Craig, and they're just as natural as can be. Maybe me- Megan McDermott, very, very, very natural. Um, just very different things that we're doing in the studio. And it's just part of, you know, expanding our digital presence. So yes. So they had me, um, you know, why don't we do some interviews and some demos and the things? So, I totally front loaded these things. Mm-hmm. I um, basically thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get a few guests that I know that I can toss up a softball and they'll run with it. <laughs> <laughs> so my first, um, my first guest was Kevin McCann from McCann's local Meats. It's hard to get somebody better. <laughs> if you, if you need somebody to fill up time and I say this in the most affectionate way possible, Kev can fill up time well, he's as good as good anybody. Storyteller. He he's, a, he's a good presence. He's a good storyteller. He's, he's great. He's just great. So, um, so I, I'm ninety nine percent sure. Uh, you know that if he wasn't the first, he was the second. So yeah. I kind of tossed him up a couple of softballs, and he took a big old swing and hit it for the fences, <laughs> and and that was you know kind of did the work for me. So, um, yeah. So it's it's been a range of people and. Um, you know, I'd love to see us do more with wine with it. Um, you know, we bat around the ideas. It's just kind of like you. I mean, I give you a lot of credit for having the discipline to do this every week. Yeah. It's it's, it's just, um, you know, making it happen. It's it's the hardest thing about doing any of this stuff is being consistent. Yeah, it's and, tough. And I mean, and you're I mean, you're doing all these all these things. Like, and I say, hey, you do this full time. But you're not full time on that. You're full time on all these different things. Exactly. Exactly. And and um. You know, there's all these little holes to fill and deadlines for certain kinds of stories. And um, uh, all the reporters also cover breaking news. Um, so I do that a couple times a month. So, um, you know, there's just a lot going on. And um, 
So, yes, well, I, I'm I, still doing it. Still doing it, and, <laughs> and and hopefully getting better. I will say, I'm telling you, when she, when when Ginny gives us that go sign, yeah. I swear there's something in my brain that just is turns off, <laughs> and and it's pure instinct. And at the end, I hope it's okay. Are you enjoying it more now that you're doing it more? Uh, no, I'm still really nervous. Um, <laughs> I think the last one I did was with Stephen Reichlin. Um, oh, wow. For the WXX, you know, the WXXI had their fundraiser. He's a yeah, big yeah. barbecue guy. He came in. Um, and that was a, a crazy day because his uh, his um, uh, plane had been really delayed. I think he came in at 10 p.m. directly off of a plane. Oh, I mean, it was geez. a little crazy. And if, if, if memory serves me right, we did it Facebook Live. Yeah. You know, so that's got another dimension because you're you're also looking at the conversation going on and trying to answer questions and this and that. So um, I think that was the, the probably the most recent one I had done. And yeah, it was it was crazy town. It was. Uh, it was an adventure for sure. So, yeah. And no, I'm, I'm not becoming more comfortable I, I, <laughs> at all. I, I'm still working on it. You know, I, I figure maybe in two years, the way my writings kind of come along, maybe in two years I'll have come along in that thing. But yeah, I, I'm doing my best. No, and I, I apologize. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Were you involved in? You were involved in doing music, correct? Not yeah. barbecue. Because I think I think it might have been Karen that was on like a barbecue team. You're you're involved in music. No, so, well, I'm a barbecue judge. You're a barbecue judge, <laughs> Kansas certified, City barbecue, Kansas City certified barbecue of course. judge. My my son and I did that this year, and that was a blast. Yes, I. But I also are, are you talking about being in a band? Yeah. Yes, I play in a band. Okay. That's different altogether, though. Oh, it is. Yeah. That's why that's why I'm asking. I think I want to I want to finish off on that just because I find it interesting. <laughs> what what kind of music do you do and why did you get into that? How'd you get into that whole oh, thing? Oh, I've been playing. So I started playing the violin when I was in about second grade. Put that down. Um, I started acoustic guitar in about fifth grade. Um, primarily played in church, you know, growing yeah. up. I went to Catholic schools, blah, blah, blah. Um, and played in church all the way through college into adulthood. Um, met very good friends at Blessed Sacrament downtown. Um Never thought about a rock band and um, took up the violin um, when I inherited my grandfather's violin. And so got that restored and started taking violin lessons then. Um, so when my kids were in cobbles, um, uh, one of the dads there, uh, his name is Lee Starr. He's in a um, ACDC tribute band. Awesome. Who, which is totally aw- a great Awesome ACDC tribute band. Um, um, High Voltage was one, and now the other one is named after something else. ACT related. Of course. ACDC related, I'll forget. <laughs> High Voltage and, uh, oh gosh, if he listens to it, I'll feel really bad. But anyway, so he's in this ACDC tribute band and thought it would be fun to get some parents together to make music like that we could play at school gigs and stuff like that. Well, as it turns out, it was a, it was a good bunch of people like good bunch of musicians and we were doing stuff from Shrek and you know I'm a believer and all that other kind of stuff and we were good enough that we just started playing as a band and so we started out as CRB it was the cobbles rock band and then it it morphed into CRB meaning classic rock and blues fair (laughs) so that worked so we did that for a few years um that group kind of disbanded and then um and some of the guys went off and did some hard rock and this and that and then a couple years later um, four of us regrouped as an acoustic band and, um, now that's grown to five, but anyway, so it's, um, our group's called Rooster and we play, um, classic rock and a little bit of country and a little bit of blues 
and um, you know, a lot of acoustic type stuff, but you know, electric as well. Um, you know, so we have two uh, female vocalists. So um, it's things like Fleetwood Mac and America and um, Janis Joplin, and I mean, we do things that guys would sing too. Sure, but, of um, course. But it has to suit our range. Um, so I sing mostly backup. You know, it's but, fun. Yeah. I mean, singing's fun. I used to. I did it in high school. Did you? Yeah. I, oh, I more in a choral sense than in a uh, oh, band I did sense. That too, yeah. Yeah, I, I did that for a number of years, all through elementary, all through high school. I did a lot of that. I kind of miss it sometimes. I, I enjoyed it. It's the band thing is a lot of work. I mean, we you know we get together once a week, um, and uh, the the guy I, I, I've said that I am the the like the sprinkles on the cupcake of the band because I do I I fill in on acoustic guitar. We, you know the the two guys are really good. That we've got a great lead guitar player, a great bass player who also plays guitar. So when they need it, I fill in on acoustic. Um, I do a little bit of violin. I do um, a lot of harmonies, and I sing lead on a couple songs just to give um, Marie Foreman, our our wonderful um, our lead vocalist, a break. But um, truly, I think they could have this band without me. But do you love it? Oh, it's fun. It's super fun. That's great. And let me tell you, you go there. It's we go every Tuesday night, and no matter what kind of day we've had, you know, once you start playing, you're only focused on what you're playing. There's there's nothing else going on in your head. It's a it's a great release. It's super fun. Um, I'm just so um, in awe of the talent of the rest of the people in the band. You know, that's really cool. It's a privilege. Yeah, I enjoy I, it. I think it's kind of important. Um, kind of important to have that one thing where it's disconnected from the other things you do. Um, I try to keep at least one of those things in my life. What is yours? Curling now? Mine is curling. Yeah, yeah. there you go. My, you know, my husband did curling for a did while. Did he really? Yeah, in the curling club. I'm sure I ran across now him. He's, now he does taekwondo. But. Oh, that's also that's another yeah. great one. Um, but I think it's like, you know, I have a full-time regular job, and then I do two different food-related things. And you need that one thing where when you're there, you're just doing that. You don't think about anything else. Yeah, and it's just completely different. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's I love it. Um, you know, it's funny cause I like going and practicing and making the music there. I get nervous at gigs, yeah. kind of like I get nervous, you know, in the studio. Um, but you need that thing to work for. So, um, you know, that's cool. All yeah, right. It's super fun. That's awesome. Um, Thanks for asking. That's nice. Seeing it. Well, I, I, I find it interesting because it, everybody has that one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think people forget to talk about Regardless of anything you're doing, whether you're writing about food, whether you're writing about politics, sometimes it's nice to take a step back and not just talk about what they talk about all the time. Yes. Because it's, I think it's important to still humanize everybody involved. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're a little, it's a little easier when it's somebody I know. Yeah. And, but I think it's important to take that step back and... Don't assume that they're one-note people. There's something there that you want to learn about. There's something there you want to explore more. And I think it's important to take that step back sometimes. Yeah. Well, um, not, not to say I'm a journalist, but I think it's I think it's kind of fun to do. Yeah. Yeah. So for this, um, not not to, I'm not deliberately not segueing weighing into this, but no, so whatever. there's this event coming up. Oh, an event. <laughs> I had and no so idea. One of the things I'm doing is interviewing Duff Goldman on stage. Yeah. And um wanted to make it different than the article I did. And so um I was trying to think of what, you know, what what would you ask somebody that isn't like that, that isn't necessarily, you know, food and drink related. And um so the PR people wanted a list of questions. And I can tell you, 
From talking to Duff Goldman, he's cool. Like yeah. he doesn't require this. I no, think somebody's just not. trying to be, you know, um, you know, trying to justify trying to justify their jobs. I, not, no, no, no. I'm not going there. <laughs> Don't. I am not agreeing with that. Um, no. <laughs> I'm just saying. Probably somebody's just trying to be very prepared. Oh, that. And so um, that's a great way of saying and that. So I I had to send in some questions, and one of them was, "You're a Baltimore Ravens fan. How do you think they're? Who do you think will finish with a better um, a, a better record this year? The Ravens or the Bills?" <laughs> Well, that's an easy, that's an easy answer. Um. <laughs> you know, but I thought let's, you know, maybe we can find a few things fun to talk about, even with Duff Goldman, that Absolutely. isn't necessarily about food. Absolutely. No, I, I think it's, I think it's important, especially in an event like that, even though it's a food and drink event and it's going on on September 23rd at Parcel 5 from, from 1, one till four. 4 on a Saturday. <laughs> I and, swear that was not a deliberate segue. No, it, I, we're, we're wrapping up anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in... You can buy your tickets. Um, let's see. Was it food and drink? Food and wine. Food and wine. Dot Democrat and Chronicle dot com. Dot com. <laughs> um, so, you know, definitely go out to the event. I mean, Trace will be on stage. Yeah. She'll, she'll be. Check that out. She'll be um, grilling Duff <laughs> Goldman about so many different things. Um, but you're going to get a lot of local restaurants participating, a lot of local wineries participating. And if you're on wine, there I think there's beer and spirits as well. Yeah, I, I, I if I remember correctly, I, I know there's definitely beer. Yes. Um, I, I'm not sure about the spirits. I, I haven't, you know, seen that list. Yeah. Um, but anyways, there, there's something for everybody. And um, with all the talk going on Parcel Five, if you haven't actually gone there oh and spent some time there, this is a great opportunity to see an event on the space and see what it see what it feels like to you. It's another one of those topics that I think it's important to experience yourself and go out and feel what it feels like to have an event on Parcel 5 and see if you care. Um, a lot of people do. A lot of people don't. Go out and try it out, and this is a great opportunity to do so. So, Tracy, thanks so much for coming over. It was fun. It's been a long time coming, and I'm oh excited. Oh, my gosh. I know we've been talking about this for I know. Years. God, almost two years. Yeah, probably two years. Yeah. yeah. So, and we're, we won't make it this long next time. So, thanks for coming over. Where can they find you on social media so they can yell at you directly? Okay. So, my social media is named after my blog from long ago. Mm. So, on Twitter, I'm Racha Chow at R A H C H A C H O W. Beautiful. And uh, Instagram, I, I don't know. It might just be my name, Tracy Schumacher with three H's. And S C H U H M A C H E R. And <laughs> I'm also on Facebook. Beautiful. Well, again, thanks so much for coming over. And I will see you at the uh, Food and Wine Experience over at Parcel 5 next Saturday. Yay. See ya.